check. Make them little money. Pay some this bills. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And I'll do my best to ask the question to the person who actually knows the answer, which is Damien Dunn, who joins me now. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. Dame, earlier this week, you accused me publicly of only letting you say five words per segment on an hour-long radio show. What do you have to say about that? I'm already The first question today comes from a woman. I'm not going to give her name by the nature of the email. But Dame, this one stuck with me all week, my friend. Feeling I've been abused by my husband. He thinks a stay-at-home mom is a servant and that I don't need an allowance, and is constantly saying rude things to me about our financial problems. So that's where we're at. And, and I, I, I get emails like this. I've received emails like this over the years. And sometimes I want to, this was sent in the afternoon. Sometimes you get these emails at three in the morning, and that's when it really hurts. You get these all the time, man. Yeah. Um, and Dame, it's, it's situations like this. It's so little is said with words but so much is said with this email. So where where do you want to begin? Because I think there are two issues here. The first is financial abuse, relationships, uh, you know, one working spouse, one stay at home spouse. That's one issue. And then I think in the second segment, we can get into adults giving each other allowances, which is a whole other thing. But where do you, where do you begin to tackle this? Because this is, (laughs) this is your on the daily task as you help people. Let's talk about the uh, abuse component first, because the, it, it certainly is uh, abuse. And what a lot of people don't necessarily realize, I mean, some some folks could potentially try and push this off as you know somebody's just really frugal with their money, and maybe there's something else to the story here. Um, it's probably not the case. Uh, unfortunately, this happens more often than you would expect, and financial abuse gets paired very often. Uh, very, very often with emotional or physical abuse. And one of the reasons is because if the other party is completely dependent on the the abuser for their li- livelihood, because they don't have any money of their own, they're not going to go anywhere and they're going to stick around and the abuser is going to be able to continue that pattern of manipulation and control and abuse and whatever else may be going on in that relationship. So don't just brush these stories that you hear under under the rug and think, well, it's really not that big a deal. They're just, you know, trying to figure something out with their finances. There's probably a lot more to it going forward. So keep that in mind. I think anytime you wield power of any sort over someone, that is a form of abuse. I am not a psychologist or psychiatrist or sci anything. Or any, or any sort of expert at this other than what you and I see on a regular basis with people's financial lives. But Dane, when I used to work with people one-on-one back in the day, couples specifically, and I, I feel like I had this stint as a marriage counselor as it relates to money, and I know that you are still in that stint. Uh, this is not uncommon. And I, there's a few different elements that I want to uh, explore with this particular subject. So Dame, I think part of this is maturity. I think part of this is understanding that at some point in time, if you are a person who is earning an income and you share finances with someone who is not, it is an immature viewpoint to suggest that they're not contributing something equally important to the relationship. So I think that is both a maturity issue and an education issue 
because uh, I don't see this as much with older people. This is like a mid 20s to early 30s thing. Would you agree with that? Or do you think it extends beyond that? I think it's potentially uh, all ages. Uh, I w it would make sense that it would maybe skew younger for sure. But I think there are a lot of uh, people in relationships that are um, conditioned at this point to accept the status quo as status quo. And it may not be in their best interest, but one one reason or another, they remain and maybe they don't feel like they have a, a, another option to try and right the ship or find a, a path out of that, that harmful relationship. So yeah, it could, could potentially be younger, but I'm, I'm not going to agree with you wholeheartedly on that. About 10 years ago, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, the most controversial blog post that I ever had. It was about at least 10 years ago, probably longer, but I, I, have we ever talked about this? I don't know. I received an email that was pretty similar but the, it was from the other person's perspective. It was from a husband that was keeping his wife and complaining that she spent too much at Target and that he didn't even have enough money to go golfing on the weekends because of his student loans and that she was, you know, how does it cost this much to buy clothes for the kids? Like, Dave, it was crazy. It was an email that I answered on my blog before I had a newspaper column and I went off on him. Like I went, bonkers bonkers and i i think it, it is the most commented on blog that i've ever had because people were defending him they're like oh i think you're taking a little too far but dame the idea that if a person doesn't have income that they don't have value is absurd it's absurd and the other viewpoint there which is a predominantly masculine viewpoint traditionally is that the male's perspective somehow matters or has a bigger vote than potentially their female partner, right? We talk about this sort of thing frequently, but especially when it comes down to life insurance, uh, this is a very common uh, way to ascribe a, I hate saying this, but a value to a stay-at-home partner's uh, worth to the relationship. And if you start adding it up, it is a ton of worth that that you need to cover for life insurance so there is a value there and just because you're not out in the workforce getting a you know a, a tax return a, a w-2 every year then you know what you still have worth and whether that's a monetary worth whether that's definitely a personal worth there's a a, a value to that relationship by you stay, choosing to stay at home and take care of of the house or the kids or whatever the case may be don't sell yourself short. So if you and I both agree this is a form of abuse that this uh, emailer asked about, what are reasonable steps for her? Like, what what is she to do? Because, is she, I mean, just confronting her husband and saying you're abusing me probably is not the uh, uh, the the end result here. Like, what what direction do you go? Yeah, she can't do this on her own. At this point, she's going to have to find an advocate who can uh, either be a mediator or uh, talk her through some options that she might possibly have to, to go. And there could be some wrinkles in the story that we don't know about that, that could provide a, a nice opening for them to, to try and broach this topic. But it is super tricky. And I would encourage her to find somebody in her life uh, that's close to her that she can trust to start opening up to and see if there's a solution or potential solution that they can come up with. 
I think it's, uh, it behooves all of us to examine if we happen to be in a relationship that shares finances, whether or not we purposefully or accidentally subscribe to the idea that $1 equals one vote, which is to say, um, just because you make more than your partner doesn't mean you have a more than equal say in, in financial decisions. And, and put that way, I think more people are guilty of this than at first glance. I think a lot of people internally look at their income, and, and I have been guilty of this. This is why I'm bringing it up. You, you say, well, I, I make the money. I think I can make this decision here. It doesn't work that way. That is not a healthy viewpoint. And so I think the more we normalize the fact that that is not a healthy viewpoint, the more we're part of the solution as opposed to being part of the silent problem. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's, there's a lot of ground to be covered here. All right. So, Dame, here's what I want to do, though, after the break. Uh, uh, the allowance word, the A word, always pokes at me when I hear adults talk about fun money or allowance. And, and I have some hot takes. I have some thoughts. And I know that you do, too. So we're going to explore that next here on the Pete the Planner Show. After that, I think we've got an early retirement question. So stick with us throughout the show. I'm Pete the Planner. And this is the Pete the Planner Show. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. No, this is not the voice you are used to hearing. Come in from a break. It's Damien. Hey, folks. Pete is actually with us, but he's trying to put a little test to me to see how far I can go into a segment. And, well, it's not going to go a whole heck of a lot longer. The last segment, we talked a little bit about allowance and the concept of what role that could play inside of a relationship and trying to figure out, do adults really do this? Do they give each other allowances and fun money and all that great stuff? I've seen it. I know Pete's seen it. And there's a really good likelihood we've got differing opinions on this topic. Pete, where do you stand on allowances for adults? Well, that's a great question. I think it really depends on uh, a couple's financial standing. Like if they're doing well, they don't have debt and they're hitting their financial goals, I think an allowance is a reasonable thing. I, I think the word is strange. And sometimes, again, people call it fun money. Dane, where I get chapped is when, <laughs> when people have an allowance, yet they're financially struggling. They're not accomplishing goals. They're deep into debt. They're not getting along. And that allowance drives a wedge between the couple, you know, weakening their relationship, weakening their financial standing, yet it's used as some sort of release valve. That's my, that's been my experience in doing this over the last 20 years is that when I hear a couple or when I used to do this, when I would hear a couple say, well, his fund money's this and my fund money's that. And then you're looking at their balance sheet and you're like, fun. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use the F word. That's the wrong F word in this situation. So there may be a couple things that we're dealing with here, right? The the, the baggage that comes along with the word allowance, uh, just because it, it it's not really the, the best answer for us. I mean, we think of allowance, you know, kids get allowance and they can kind of do whatever they want with it. So we try and ascribe that same meaning to uh, what we're looking at. And the second is, what you're doing with the actual money, right? It's just as you said, you, if you've got an allowance, in theory, everything else is buttoned up behind the scenes and you're doing okay. 
that's not the case because you know if you think you've got some you know walking around money is another f- phrase I, I've heard for it. You know, just you can spend it on whatever the heck you want. You're not accountable for anything that, that money uses. That's not great. You better make sure everything is buttoned up behind the scenes, like I just repeated myself, because it matters, man. If you've got some issues in your bank account or on your balance sheet or you're not hitting the goals that you've set out for yourself, you've got to get that straightened out because you might be shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, what I think is fascinating about this conversation, Dame, is that it really is the allowance becomes the TCB. It becomes the taking care of business when the taking care of business should actually be hitting your savings goal, getting out of debt. And and so it becomes this free for all. I don't have to answer to anyone. I don't have to answer to to any uh, goal because this is my money to do what I want with it. Again, like in the first segment, we were talking about a, mat- a maturity issue with some people's financial challenges. This feels like a maturity issue that if if you are so stressed about your financial life because things aren't going well, cordoning off a certain amount of money to further that irresponsibility is not going to solve the problem. I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to get into that issue. But if, if, if this is a problem, more of this is not the solution. I think we, we're so tied to this concept because it's super empowering to know that you've got some money and you can do whatever the heck you want with it. I can take a break from whatever else might be stressing me out financially because you know what? I've got this money and I've already given myself permission to spend this money however I want. And that's, uh, it gets back to a goal issue, which I don't know, it's, has it been a while since we've really talked about goals and what appropriate goals are, Pete? That's a great point. Maybe that's the next segment is how do you set couples goals, yeah. right? So Dame, I, I'm trying, I think it's important when you and I have these discussions, both this discussion and the one we had in the last segment to acknowledge that you and I pretty much on these topics are coming from the exact same place. That is to say, we are not bringing in a, a feminine perspective. Uh, we're, 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 we offer the same perspective. However, I would say this, we can be honest about our journey on this topic. That is to say, uh, whereas Mrs. Planner and I didn't necessarily give each other allowances, we did have a system of spending and allocation that was conducive to allowances. That is to say, oh, well, I know that you spend money on this, and so I spend money on this. And and what's happened over the years, and I don't know if it's because we've gotten more financially secure, which is, again, a natural progression, or a maturity thing, or just a comfort level of, I don't keep track of any of that stuff because we hit our, our goals are our, our number one thing. That's where our money goes. And then after that, it's what it's whatever. And we, we sort of don't bump heads. I'm curious what your experience has been. I think maturity is the key word there because it could really spiral out of control pretty quickly. Because if you think, you know, gosh, my spouse or partner just spent this much on whatever I don't deemed to have as much value as they do. Well, I'm going to go out and spend the same amount or a little bit more on something else. And then it goes back to the other side and they spend a little bit more. And before you know it, you're spending 10, 15, 20% more on inconsequential things, things that don't help you accomplish your goals on a month to month basis. And you're going backwards instead of treading water or going forward. So maturity is a huge, huge component to that. And I think uh, goals, if we do get to it next segment, 
can really help establish the ground rules for everybody and keep everybody in check. Some of our best friends, uh, Mrs. Planner and I, they're two of the smartest people I know. They're a married couple. Um, they're very financially secure. Um, they're very smart, very, you know, disciplined, yet they do the allowance thing. And it's like, it works for them because of all those other elements I just hit. I think if you don't have stability and you don't have a super solid relationship, again, that allowance becomes the, the divide. Dame, what do you think about this idea uh, from an allowance perspective that revenge spending sometimes get in the, gets in the way where it's what you just said. One person does something that the other person doesn't really value. And so then the other person says, well, okay, well, if you're going to do that. I'm going to do this. And then it just becomes like oh, this one upsmanship of bad ideas. It's so easy to do. I, I know I've done it. I, I, I don't, I bet almost everybody that's listened to this show has done it. So you have to be able to figure out a way to get in front of that. If you fall prey to it or, or your spouse falls prey to it, you, you got to recognize it. And again, maturity, somebody has to be the one to say, you know what, we need to take a step back and cool this off because we can't maintain this. We, we've got to make sure that we get back on track and maybe, maybe somebody has to say they're sorry or return something that, that they bought and, and trying, you know, refocus. It, it's interesting. There was this, um, I'll call it a meme for lack of a better term, but there was this idea going around the internet within the last three or four weeks. And it says something like, you know, and I haven't brought this up. I never retweeted it because it's, it's nuance. It's uh, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. You know, right? It's like, and, and like, that's a little, a, li a little too tight. Like it, it's not the way it works, but this is interesting because managing money with another person is really difficult. And if you're not willing to put in the work, there's a consequence to that. Dame, what I often see is that one person views it as an allowance and the other person has a very realistic vision of their own financial life. So they save their allowance on behalf of the couple. And, and I never get caught up in fair and not fair because I think it's a wild goose chase, but that doesn't exactly seem fair. Seems like somebody's getting the short end of the stick on that one. However, depending on your personality type and the, and the people in the relationship, it might be how it works. I, I'm not saying it's great, but it might be how it works. So if, if somebody's uncomfortable with it, uh, then yeah, a conversation needs to be had though. All right. You've done it, Dame. We're goal setting segment. Next segment. How do couples actually set goals together? Given they come from different perspectives, they value different things, and they're using the same amount of money to accomplish different goals. We're going to hit that next on the Pete the Planner show. He's Damian Dunn, and I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show. That's right. It's goal setting third segment time here on the Pete the Planner show. Dame goal setting. I contend there are people who have financial goals who will more likely than not be rather successful. And then there are people who don't have financial goals who might luck into success. This is to say, I believe you have a better chance of success when you know how to define success, which is to set a goal. That is hard enough to do when you're an individual. It is like a root canal without the proper tools when you're a couple. So Dame, that is to say, again, same phrase, how do you recommend people 
set goals when they're doing it with someone else they share finances with? Uh, you start with a drink of choice. Uh, yes. Uh, communication has to happen. And it may be a process that's going to uh, unfold over the course of a couple different meetings uh, for yourself. A meeting sounds way too formal. They, they don't have to be anything like that. But start talking about where you're at, what you want to accomplish, uh, what you see in the next year or five years and going forward. But then the, it gets down to the guts of the goal. You've got to figure out a couple things. You've got to give yourself an actual number that you're shooting for, right? You got to be specific. You can't just say, we're going to save some money in our savings account this month because at the end of the month, when you haven't saved anything, you put a dollar in and boom, you've accomplished your goal when maybe you are capable of so much more. So it's got to be a specific number. Second part is you got to put a time on it. How long do you have to accomplish this goal? That's the tricky one because people are really, really afraid of failing. And maybe that's just an an American thing for for this, especially around finances. You don't want to say, I set this goal and I didn't make it. Well, you know what? Chances are you still made progress while you were trying to accomplish that goal. Maybe the goal wasn't really all that uh, achievable. And now you know that. And you can set a more reasonable goal for that next time period. But you have to have those things to hold yourself accountable, whether it's just you or you and your partner. You got to have a dollar amount ascribed to it. And you have have to have a time limit on when you're going to accomplish this. Pete, is is there anything else that you think people need to consider when they're trying to talk about goal setting? I think those are the two main elements along with what it is you're trying to accomplish. For instance, if I said, uh, hey, I'd like to have less debt this year, that's not as that's an idea. That's not really a goal. A goal would be, I would like $350 less of debt on my best buy credit card by December 6th of 2020. Because then on December 6th, you got to come to terms with why you did or did not accomplish the goal. And that's the, that is the springboard to financial success. So often uh, people fall prey to their vices because they don't have goals. Dame, if you and I spend too much on dining out or grabbing a six pack or whatever. It doesn't matter if you can't measure that against what isn't specifically getting accomplished. But the second I get to December 6th and I say, oh, I only paid off $230. Well, where'd the other 120 go? I look at my budget. I see that we spent a ton on dining out. And instead of laughing that off for another month, which becomes a year, then becomes a decade, you start to make some changes. And so I think that's where you have to begin. But Dame, you also have to consider the fact that the person you're shedding, that was shedding, yeah, setting goals with, you have to trust them. There has to be trust. I think you actually have to build some trust. It, and, and people skip this step. And, and I think it's about having a very vulnerable conversation about your own financial shortcomings. To go to your partner and say, what do I do financially that frustrates you? You know? Oh, boy. That's uh, uh, a tricky topic to really sit down and dig into honestly, because it, it would be easy to be rather superficial about that. Anytime you're opening yourself up for um, criticism, even though it may be presented in as the kindest way possible, if you've been married a while, maybe not. Uh, but y- you have to be vulnerable at this point. You have to know that the other person has uh, your best interest in mind too. And I guess that's the other thing here is that you have to value your partner as much as you value your own financial success going forward. Because if you think that 
you have a little bit more pull or the, the, what you want is more important, then this is going to be a really, really tough conversation. And that, you know, ties back into basically the theme of this whole show so far is that, you know, maturity is going to play a big role in this. You got to have uh, trust in, in your, in your partner and you got to figure out what matters to everybody. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because it's what matters to everyone is defined by maturity. That's to say, if there are three types of financial goals, the first being consumption, which is just to buy something. Hey, we need a new couch. I want a new fishing pole. I want a new handbag. That's a consumption goal. Then there's debt elimination. And then there's accumulation, which is really more of a a retirement funding, college funding sort of thing. Dame, it's not unusual for most people to start at consumption goals. And if one person moves past that good, better, best of consumption, debt elimination, and accumulation, if, if one person moves past accumulate, uh, consumption first and the other person's stuck there, that's where the stress happens because the other person says, yeah, that's cute. I've been there. I got my new dumbbells for our home gym, but I'm trying to pay off my student loans now. Maybe that's part of where uh, the concept from the last segment comes in, the allowance. Maybe you have that money where they can save up for their own goal on the side and not necessarily dig into the the money and the funds that are being used to push the relationship forward overall. So, And don't misunderstand us. Consumption goals aren't wrong or aren't um, you know, something to be avoided, but you need to keep them in perspective with everything else. So if you've got debt or if you're trying to get a jump on uh, saving and accumulating, those have to weigh in there too. But we're not telling you to to live in a 250 square foot apartment with a, a futon and and eat ramen. That, that's that's not what we're going for. But everything in moderation, right? I remember a time when I didn't realize there was good ramen out there, like real ramen. I thought there was only top ramen, like the mm-hmm. 10 cent ramen. Do you hear this weird clicking I'm doing with my tongue when I'm talking right now? I was actually, I was just thinking I was doing some clicking. That's really strange. When I was talking. What's happening to my face? (laughs) I feel like I was like, my tongue stopped working there for a second. It's like, wow, tongue's got a valuable member of this team here. Dame, this is also why I think people sometimes need a guide through this process and not to do a cheap commercial for Hey Money. But the reason we built Hey Money, go to callheymoney.com is so that someone can guide you through this process. We're not financial planners. We're not going to manage your assets. But what we're going to do is we're going to facilitate those conversations that move you in the right place. Dame, the other side of this too is, and this this, doesn't this end up being a relationship episode all of a sudden? I mean, this is what this is about. Relationships are very hard. Relationships you share money with are very hard. Both people have to share the same end vision. And that end vision is that you're in it together. And I'm not trying to oversimplify relationships or marriage. And please understand if you've had a different experience that I've not experienced, my experience is not better than yours. And I don't know more than you. But I will tell you, sometimes there are problems that can be solved simply by both people agreeing that they're going to go through it together. That is a, a, a gross oversimplification but I still see it all the time. You have to feel like both people have skin in the game in this case. And if, if somebody's vision of where they're going to be in 10 years or five years or next week varies from the other person, it's going to be really hard to come up with a unified goals on 
anything, not just financial, but anything at that point. So have to have everybody on the same page for sure in these conversations. If for some reason you want to uh, have someone from our Hey Money team, someone like Dame, maybe even Dame, help you establish this process of setting financial goals together, go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com. You can actually use offer code radio. We'll even give you a discount. Dame, when's the last time I did a Hey Money plug on the show? February? I would say six months ago, seven months ago. I don't know. Yeah, that was that felt dirty. Our marketing people are always like, you can mention it more. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like radio shows where like the answer is, call me on Monday. Like I, I, It drives me bonkers. Anyway, coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and the news. This is the Pete the Planner Show, and I'm the person you just heard about. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is you see every week on the show that the, the fourth segment, we we offer a consumer item, which arguably is silly or fun or frivolous and could be considered a waste of money. Dame this week, I offer you the Vine Box 12 Nights of Wine. Advent calendars aren't just for kids anymore. Vine Box reimagines the holiday tradition for the 21 and older crowd. And with the year we've had, you're going to need it. The classic Christmas countdown swaps out the chocolate for a dozen wines from the best European vines. Each single serve vial. This is where it goes off the rails for me. Each single serve vial holds a glass of red or white to enjoy every night after a long day of Zoom calls and homeschooling. This is pretty good copy, though. I mean, I disagree with the single serving in a glass, but the copy is decent. For those who'd rather not drink alone, gift one to a friend and celebrate the season while practicing social distancing. Quantities are limited, as always, and they will go fast. It's $129, Dame, for 12 servings of wine. That's not great. That's not great at all. It's over $10 for a glass of wine, and you know the wine's not good if they're putting in a single serving. Was is the uh, the bigger drawback on this product uh, the the single serving the vials? Wh- wh- where's your your big push on this, Pete? Single servings, single serving. So if it was uh, twelve bottles of wine, that's fine. Okay, it's like like if let's okay. So we have one advent calendar at our house, okay, and my kids. They one gets the odd days and one gets the even days and they alternate who pulls the little piece of chocolate out and eats it in their face. And there's arguments over that. Can you imagine with your partner, if you both love wine or a cocktail or something like that, and every other night someone gets one and you're like, well, no, the solution is to spend two hundred and sixty dollars on. Twenty four glasses of wine. Get out of here. What, are you at a restaurant or something? absurd dame um not much going on this week in current events <laughs> all right so let's give some date as to when we're recording this show because i think it matters for the, the purpose of this conversation it is december 6th friday december 6th i want the annals of history that's annals of history to uh it's november 6th what i say i think you said december <laughs> I mean, I wish. Man, do I wish. I think I did say December. It's November 6th. Dame, the market 
the stock market the week of the election in 2020, holy cow, it went bonkers. And last week was a nightmare. You know, the volatility got cranked up and uh, it went down a lot over the last couple of weeks. Well, this week, it gained a lot of ground back this Friday, the November 6th, as they call it in the biz. Market's down about 60 bucks midday, That's or 60 points, I should say, on the Dow Jones and about two bucks, two points on the S&P. What, what, what do you attribute all this to? Oh, man. Uh, in my head, I would like to say that it's because there's a prospect of a divided government coming, that there's, uh, you know, no one party is going to have complete rule of the roost. And so there's a great likelihood that it's just going to be status quo or everything's going to be relatively similar going forward for the next two years. So I, I think some... Um, reassurance and feeling of consistency in in the markets and the businesses are are is reassuring and they they know they think they know what they're going to get so let's keep the train going uh did you see the story where san francisco voters approved higher taxes for big businesses residents passed measure to increase taxes for the biggest businesses and property owners uh dame san francisco is its own ecosystem it has got a lot of issues, a lot of very unique issues, but big business often wins out over the people of the area. And this ballot measure is fascinating to say the least. It's This topic has been on uh, the, the table out there for some time because they do have huge tech companies out there. And since San Francisco has some of the highest concentration of billionaires anywhere else in the world. So they're trying to tap into their resources that they have there. And I think the measures that were passed are expected to raise roughly $300 million a year of tax revenue for the city. So it may end up being a, a, a huge, well, what I would consider a huge windfall. I have no idea what San Francisco's budget is, but based on all the issues that they're having out there, my hope is it just gets spent wisely. I mean, if they're if that's what the people want and that's what they voted in, then that's what's going to happen. But man, don't get three hundred million dollars and just fritter it away for nothing. You've got to do something positive to get things turned around in San Francisco because it is not a place that not a place that I would want to visit right now. Good use of fritter. I, I am Midwestern. I I saw the people throwing the word clown around a lot the last couple of days. Dame, I don't know if you saw this. My guess is that you have not. Uh, Lil Pump, who is a hip hop artist, okay. who came out in support of the incumbent in the presidential election last week. And the president of the United States brought Lil Pump on stage with him at a rally and mistakenly called him Lil Pimp instead of Lil Pump. Did you see that last week? Uh, no. Well, anyway, Lil Pump says that he's supporting the president because of taxes. Well, in March of 2018, Lil Pump signed a recording contract with Warner Brothers that came with an $8 million advance. Dame, for those who don't understand, an advance is you get the payment and then you've got to earn your way out of it. The contract then pays the rapper $9,000 in the first year. $12,000 in the second year and 15,000 in the third through the seventh years until those advances or until the advance until enough records sell enough music sells. 
to pay back the company. So this is to suggest, Dame, that Lil Pump in the year 2020 theoretically has $12,000 of taxable income. And the reason that he supported the president, while albeit altruistic for people who have that challenge, doesn't actually affect him. And it got me and a friend talking about this, that it's not uncommon for people to choose candidates and parties based on how they view themselves versus their own reality. And, and I think in some way it's misguided, but in other cases, it's quite noble, right? It's, it's to say, hey, look, this isn't my problem, but I understand I don't think it's fair for people who go through this. In this particular situation, I'm not so sure the person realizes that that isn't their particular problem at the time. I hadn't considered that uh, as a, a potential motivating factor, I, but it is an interesting thing to say that it, you could vote with some bit of nobility involved in it with, you know, this is not where I'm at, but this is where I aspire to be. And I'm going to try and take care of my future self with my vote today. So it would be interesting to, to, oh man, try and dig into the psyche of voters is just a disaster, I, I think. And I mean, is there any uh profession that's that's going to be less trusted going forward than pollsters trying to trying to figure <laughs> out I, so I, I don't know where you start and stop that conversation but the vote modern voter is is something to behold yeah and again we've done a pretty good job of staying away from this topic this today but i, I think it gets down to are you a single issue voter is there one thing and that's the reason you're choosing your party I guess my point would be some people choose the economy or their own financial standing as their single issue, but they oftentimes misevaluate mm -hmm. their standing as it relates to that particular candidate. But that's neither here nor there. Dame, so glad to spend another week with you today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, I, we, I, we may not actually have a show next week because uh, of schedules and whatnot. We'll figure that out. We'll let you know. We'll post something online. So, Dame, I encourage anyone who uh, wants to listen to back episodes of this show just to fall asleep. Go to PeteThePlanner.com or wherever you get your podcast. Dame, thanks for being on the show this week. Thanks, Pete. All right, everybody else, any good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this here was our show.